Yeah, I would have rather seen it's kind of a true story. <laughs> I think that's like only funny to me. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 357 with a review of True Story. I'm Christopher Schnazy. And I'm Christian... Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Christopher Schnazy. That was supposed to be the joke. Because I, I took your identity. <laughs> Very nice. What, um- what word was I saying? <laughs> We were just talking about Russian stuff, um, following up from the Child 44 episode, so maybe you were trying to, like, weave in some sort of Russian pronunciation of something. I think my mouth was trying to end it as Stephen Miller still, so it was like, I'm Christian, (laughs) and then it just didn't know know what to do. (laughs) Krishna first. Krishna Anyways, uh, this is For the Warning Podcast. It's a weekly film review program. Uh, each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater, theater near you. <laughs> and uh, this week, uh, we had a review. Uh, Carson and I did a review of Child 44, and I'm following that up here with Steven, um, who stole my identity as Krishna. <laughs> and uh, we are talking about True Story. Um, so, how, how are you doing, Steven? Oh, well... A little bit weird, actually. So I have a true story for you. Uh-oh. Which is, uh, boy, th- this is a build-up for something that is not interesting. <laughs> so a, a few days ago, I had uh, a big dental surgery, uh-huh. uh, apical surgery. You can Google it, but don't Google image search because it's <laughs> terrifying and disgusting. Yikes. Um, anyway, ever since then, I've had like a big swollen lip, gauze under it, drooling. So t- today is the first day I think I can vaguely enunciate correctly. <laughs> except, <laughs> except for, except for, for Krishna. Yeah. Uh, except for that one. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it's happy. It, it's nice to have a mouth again. It feels good. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that not being so good. I, I haven't like uh, had any major... I mean, I had wisdom teeth pulled. And when I had that, I had like my face packed with gauze for a long time um, mm-hmm. because it wouldn't stop bleeding. Um so that that wasn't like pain or non-ability to control my face or anything, but it was definitely like a pain in the butt to just have your face pack full of junk. Wait, they did it in the butt? I think that's part of the problem. <laughs> well, it, there's no scarring if you go in through the anus. <laughs> Something about a dental dam. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, I, I actually think this is, this is no worse than wisdom teeth. It's just... That it happens on the front teeth, gotcha. which means they're more kind of like prominently featured in your mouth. Basically, they they cut a hole in the gum Ugh. and in the bone and chop off part of the root. It's it's pretty pretty gnarly because you're awake for it. Ugh. Like I could see in the little mirror that there was a hole in my mouth. <laughs> Yikes! Yeah, when when I did the wisdom teeth pulling thing, they, you know, I had the choice to be awake or be knocked out. Um, but you know, when the guy surgeon dude was like going over the x-rays and pointing to stuff, he's like, yeah, if you, if we nick this, you'll never taste again. And if we nick this one, you won't be able to control your bottom jaw. And I was like, put me out, put me out. (laughs) I I don't want to be awake. And here you go. Oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) You'd rather just wake up and not have control of your jaw anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, at least I can't like, I don't want to be like in every horror movie ever where you're completely paralyzed. Just going, (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, well, so I would want to be knocked out because I'm like a very fidgety person. Yeah. Especially if I'm being forced to stay still, like your mouth is open in an uncomfortable position. Yeah. And then they're telling you like, I hope we don't nick anything. And you're like, okay, don't, don't twitch. Don't twitch. Please. <laughs> you're like, oh no, I have to sneeze. I have to sneeze. <laughs> Sneezing, by the way, hurts like hell when you have stitches in your mouth, as uh. I learned this week. Yeah. Yikes. Anyway, great banter. Um, <laughs> Hey, the people want to know. I mean, if if at some point in this episode you just like your words are like, yeah, and then this scene the movie where he's just we'll we'll know. Dude, I, I seriously did. I I looked like a stroke victim for the first few days after it. Like, <laughs> I still was going in the office and like interviewing people and having meetings. And I just looked like ridiculous. People are like, you know what? I think this company's not a good fit for me. Yeah, I think they must. There must be a lot of stress. I think they do something to your. Uh, to your brain or to your heart when you when you go here <laughs> you checked in a bad fix that broke stuff and that's what they did to you yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> well uh, my second even less interesting story <laughs> jesus i'll i'll just make it quick <laughs> my note here is driving to movie theater um <laughs> Yeah, so I I went all day without eating yesterday. I'm I'm in a deadline mode for some uh, comp bio paper with my girlfriend. Yeah. And anyway, I I went out to see the movie around like 6 p.m. and realized I hadn't had any food. So I tried to get there early so I could grab dinner, but there was terrible traffic because there's some giant like cherry blossom festival, <laughs> some big Japanese thing where there were like Hello Kitties and a live a live band that was singing a cover of like top radio hits um, <laughs> but with like japanese backup singers yeah um, a- anyway so i went from very excited to eat to very angry that i was just stuck in traffic that wasn't moving yeah and then suddenly a spot opened up right next to the movie theater and i grabbed it and i was eating japanese food one minute later and i was very happy <laughs> <laughs> you're right that story was not worth it it's not worth it at all. There's no payoff to that at all. Nope. Like, it was basically the worst like, and then it wasn't. Kind of like certain movies. It doesn't really have the payoff you were <laughs> you were hoping for. I was going to make that joke earlier when you first said no payoff. And then I was like, no, I will save that. If you could see the visuals of like the giant Hello Kitty and the like the moment between me being very angry that I was going to miss dinner and the movie to stuffing my face with Japanese food in front of an inflatable hello kitty you you would feel a little something i i mean i i enjoy me some japanese food so yeah. true story <laughs> true story no actually that that story happened to like five different people i, I just kind of merged it into one <laughs> really i was driving trying to park and some other guy was <laughs> eating watching japanese some food. guy eat japanese food yeah oh man these episodes are starting strong today <clears throat> really strong but uh, anyways, so true story. This is a film that uh, apparently everybody else knew about, but I didn't know about until like yesterday morning or whatever it was when I texted you guys. And uh, I didn't know till you knew about it. Okay, that was the first I heard. Cool. So we both watched the trailer. We thought it looked interesting. Decided to give it a shot. Um, so what do you say we get into the episode? Yeah, take it away, Krishner. <laughs> All right, Uh, we're going to take a listen to the trailer for True Story and then come back and give you our true review. This is the famous Michael Fingal of the New York Times. I think after three years you can call me Mike. You going to give yourself a day off now? I'm actually going into the office. Come home soon. I love you. 
This article was about saving young people's lives. You said write it up. I said write it up, not make it up. I did the best with what I had. You have a future ahead of you, Mike, but not here. You know, to be honest, I'm relieved it's over with the times. You turn into a real prick working for them. Hello? Hi, I'm a reporter with the Oregonian. I wanted to get your side on the Look. Christian Longo story. Who? He murdered his entire family. Why are you telling me this? Because when they apprehended him, he said he was Mike Finkel of the New York Times. Did he say anything at all about why he claimed to be me? I hoped you might be able to tell me that. He was just a regular guy, an intelligent, sane man. He comes home one night and kills his wife and kids. It makes no sense. Thank you for seeing me, Mr. Longo. Call me Chris. So why me? I've followed your whole career. I guess I felt like I knew you. I want to tell you my side of this. Only you. Maybe at this point it doesn't matter. The truth always matters. It always seems to matter to you. This is a once-in-a-lifetime story. Don't you see this as a second chance? You're an outcast. That's not the man I wanted to be. None of us is the man he wants to be. Hello? Jill, hey. It's nice to meet you. Chris? You know, Mike, he's been a real friend to me. I just hope that we can be friends, too. I believe we're dealing with an exceptionally dangerous man. You had a choice of so many stories to tell, and you chose his. Actually, he picked me. He didn't pick you. He used you. We think he's part of some bigger game plan. This isn't just about me. Who, who do you have to protect? I can't say. You think he's innocent, don't you? My whole reputation's on the line. Don't give up on me. Are you really going to be the man who might set him free? No, he's Chris, did you do what you're accused of doing? All right, so true story is uh, the true story, I guess, about a writer for the New York Times who, uh, you know, writes this story that may have not been 100% completely factual. Um, you know, it's based in fact, but he may have combined some things to uh, make the story more interesting than it actually was. And, uh, you know, he gets kind of ousted and uh, gets contacted by somebody who is investigating a man who allegedly killed his family and when he was arrested, gave the name of the dude who was just called, who used to work for New York Times. Anyways, so he decides to go meet up with this guy and start working on a story about who that guy is, why he took his name, and uh, the events surrounding the alleged murder that he took place in. So, Stephen, why don't you... Uh, I mean, we both made a comment a moment ago. Should we just do our, our quick little, like, one-sentence review, and then we can get into a real review? Yeah, right. yeah, that sounds good. All right, cool. So give me one sentence on what you thought about this film. Pretty okay, good acting, didn't go much of anywhere, disappointing finale. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, my one-sentence review is that this is a film that proves that truth is not stranger than fiction, that fiction would have given this film a great ending to a film that I actually thought was interesting until... The climax. Yeah, I would have rather seen it's kind of a true story. <laughs> I think that's like only funny to me. Um, all right. So now that we both said that piece, uh, why don't you go into more detail on what you thought about the film? Yeah, so 
I, I don't know. I was actually having trouble. I, I told you that I had no notes written down. I, I usually try to like write down a few things after I leave the theater. Yeah. And I had not too much this time because the movie kind of perplexed me a little bit. Um, there were certain things that were surprisingly good. Like I, I shouldn't be surprised that Jonah Hill is good at playing overweight, socially awkward, intelligent people by now <laughs> because he's been... <laughs> He's been doing this for a little while. Um, I mean, he's basically his Moneyball character again here. He's like this intense guy who doesn't always rub everyone the right way, but yeah. who has some quality about him that gets the job done. Um, and, and I feel like he was very strong here. James Franco, like, I have so much trouble getting behind James Franco as an actual actor. <laughs> like, <laughs> the only serious role I believed him in was as a, like, pedophile in palo alto <laughs> and that's because like that is his attitude is kind of like creepy and alien of course spring break forever y'all <laughs> it's pronounced alien <laughs> alien oh sorry <laughs> sorry krishner um, <laughs> you're you're, you're uh, forgiven <laughs> anyway i just i have trouble with him and he also was fairly good here like i can't i can't fault the acting on either side like i think they did a good job with what was given to them. And since most of the film is basically dialogue between these two characters, you would think that would give the movie something to go on. But there was something about it that kind of felt like Foxcatcher to me. Like, it was this brooding thing that was made, like, moderately well the whole way through, but it, it never really amounted to much. And it didn't really have, like, momentum that was pushing me into the plot. Like, basically, the, the most exciting part of the movie is when it begins and when you see the setup and what will happen. Yeah. And from the moment on, when the movie actually carries out, what will happen is strictly less exciting than anything you were hoping <laughs> when you first found out what the film was about. Yeah. Like it by the end, especially like I think the first half of this film was quite quite good actually because it really it sets up the characters well and it it builds tension and it did have this kind of creepy creepy vibe where you're curious about James Franco's character and about the motivations and you think like kind of like the act of killing or something you're finally going to get to hear from a terrible person why they did terrible things yeah yeah and then it kind of jettisons that idea. And by the end, it's just, like, way too on the nose. Like, there's a scene towards the end where Felicity Jones has this dramatic moment where she basically shouts the themes of the movie at James Franco. <laughs> <laughs> like, these are the parallels. These are the metaphors. This is what we're going for. Ah, storm out. <laughs> and it, I don't know. It, it just didn't have that great a payoff. Like, it was well made and short enough that I... I was never really bored by it, but it, it just kind of ended with a thud. Like, okay, what, what do you want me to do with this? Well, that, yeah, I, I that, that's the thing. It, it's, so the film is this constant building and building and building to like a complete misfire. Like there's, and then what, what's even weirder about it is, you know, this is based on a true story, uh, you know, cleverly titled film. And, uh, the, the title cards at the end that like tell you the follow-up, there's something they say in there that like makes me wonder the significance of any of these events anyways. Like mm -hmm. that like I just I don't get why those characters relationship would progress the way it does based on those title cards 
if the events of the film are true. Like it, it just it doesn't make sense to me. So I so as you said, the beginning of this film is interesting because you see both characters. You kind of see like the weirdness of their being put together. Um, you find out that like you know James Franco's character has this like fondness for Jonah Hill's character, and you know the the film is 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 selling this entire thing based on this tension between the characters of of what does Jonah Hill want from James Franco and what does James Franco want from Jonah Hill, and like the entire thing that's making this entire movie work is where those two paths are leading, like what are they getting out of each other and what will be the eventuality of of their relationship together um and it it almost seems that like it, it well it doesn't even seem that it's completely inconsequential to the to the verdict of the case at the end of the film like mm-hmm. like nothing that jonah hill does or james franco does uh matters at all to the reality of the events that took place in real life even in the context of the film all that matters is jonah hill's perception of the time he spent with james franco so like even if I bought into this, like, like the film is trying to convince us that the case is interesting, but really all that matters is the journey that Jonah Hill goes on in context with the person who this case is about. And I think that that is, I don't know, there's something about that that doesn't work. Like, if you sell me on that idea from the beginning, like, a character, like, if this, if this was really a film about Jonah Hill being obsessed with, with James Franco's character. And that's what we are doing is him getting lost in this case. And the case was irrelevant because we really felt that like, Oh no, Jonah Hill is losing himself in this case and he's going crazy and he's sacrificing everything to like figure out what's going on. That could have been an interesting story. But this, the, the, the thing that the story is selling us on purpose is the trial itself, the case itself and James Franco. But that's not, what the story emphasis is about. Yeah, so I, I think like a, a decent comparison, if you saw it, would be Capote. Uh, like Capote, which is same guy that did Foxcatcher, oh, yeah. uh, is about basically Truman Capote interviewing a guy on death row for a novel that he's writing. And he basically gets very obsessed with this case. Like it's starting to haunt him. Yeah. And he's also still using it for entertainment in the end. Yeah. Uh, but like that movie had granted it had Philip Seymour Hoffman and Jonah Hill ain't no PSH, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it it also just I it, like films like that or like a Zodiac or something yeah, that, like that, where you like get when you were describing I was thinking Zodiac where you get just obsessed obsessed with something, and they hinted it here with Felicity Jones in kind of weird weird places that don't feel like they're supported by the narrative, uh, like they hint at some obsession, but it never really pays off. It's not like, I don't get the feeling that he is obsessed with it. I just get the feeling that like, we're reading the book that he wrote at the end, which is just like a, here's what happened. Deal with it. Yeah. And, and like the, the thing with uh, like what you're bringing up with Felicity Jones, like her, so her character, her and Jonah Hill are already in a weird relationship where they live apart because of Jonah Hill's work. So she lives in, wherever the hell they are where it snows all the time and he lives in you know new york and then he is flying around the world doing all these stories so they're used to not being together so the obsession factor it's hard for me to get behind like there being a consequence in their relationship because they're used to his work keeping them apart anyways and so far it hasn't seemed to do anything hasn't seemed to have any negative consequences because they're still together and things are fine so 
like it's hard to get into that like obsession is driving them apart thing she's just i guess theoretically worried for where he's going but that's the other thing that's weird too is this isn't like him he's not a a, a detective trying to hunt down a killer and his obsession is putting his family in jeopardy like james franco's in prison already like he's he's been arrested he's awaiting trial no harm can theoretically come to anybody outside of the prison so we're talking about really only psychological uh, effects that he can even do to Jonah Hill's character. So it's it's like, where is the, like, the scenes where she's being frightened aren't, there's no, there's no real stakes there because it's just her acting emotionally as opposed to, like, her being threatened in any way. Yeah, you never... You never feel like there are stakes. I mean, Jonah Hill is pretty much irrelevant to the court case, so that the big stakes are out already. But even the emotional stakes, like, I think the film is trying to show you an arc of where he gets close to this person and it does something to him. Yeah. But you don't see the thing it does except for, like, very on-the-nose hints from how his wife perceives him. You you don't ever really feel like they were that close, or or like he was a good friend with this person. Yeah, I, it it's weird. Like like tonally, there there are things I really liked about it, especially in the beginning. There, I kind of got a jinx type vibe, like when there are the flashbacks of the events that were happening. Yeah, and it's very like stylized and very creepy, and played in a way where you're supposed to be wondering like what would cause this to happen or what emotionally would this do to the perpetrator and then it just kind of jettisons that it it almost plays it as if his innocence or guilt is up for the audience to question and i don't feel like it ever succeeded in making me question it (laughs) for a second oh yeah for for sure not at all i mean i have you ever seen uh, the life of david gale uh, no, I haven't. Um, okay, so that's a film that I love. Uh, so Kate Winslet is interviewing Kevin Spacey, a man on death row for killing, um, for killing his partner in an anti-death row advocacy group. Um, and the the it, it's basically the exact setup for this, other than the fact that Kevin Spacey didn't try to steal Kate Winslet's uh, <laughs> um, thing. Like basically, she had spent her character had spent some time in jail for not giving up a source in some case, and uh, Kevin Spacey heard about this and was like, "Okay, she's somebody who takes you know truth to the grave with her or whatever." So I want to get her. I'm going to give her exclusive access, and it's he is supposed to be executed on like Saturday. And she has like the the few days before that trial to interview him to get all the details for the case to report on it, and that that's basically the premise for the film. And it's all about whether or not he did this thing that he supposedly did. Um, and like that story is really compelling. It's really interesting. There, you're like the Kevin Spacey is like a educated professor who's like. Like, people are just scared of him because he's just so smart that he could probably make up whatever he wants. Like, there's there's a lot of, like, details where, like, his character... Like, in this film, there's people who talk about James Franco as, like, he's, like, a genius, crazy psychopath who could, like, convince anybody of anything. But, like, none of that ever comes forth in the course of the film. Like, they try to sell it as if he's a really smart man who could be, like, totally playing everybody in this situation and, and like the film doesn't really pay that off in any way. Like there's, 
there's like a few moments, um, you know, during the court case where like they're like trying to bring some callbacks to different things and make you go, oh shit. Like some people in my theater literally said, oh shit. Really? Yeah. And it was funny too, is like there's there certain lines that are delivered. And then it was like, all right, cool. And then like a few moments later, that's when the people in the audience are like, oh shit. Like, they were like, yeah, you didn't catch that when like this line was said earlier. Um, but, uh, yeah, yes. my my reaction was the opposite. I was like, okay, when is he going to drop a line that's a callback? Because we know it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it was just like they don't even take that anywhere. Like if this, that's why I said that. Like thing at the beginning, of my little one sentence review was that uh, truth is not stranger than fiction. Like in a fiction story, those line callbacks would have resulted in some sort of impactful thing in the case, and mm-hmm. it would have been like a whole oh, shit. There would have actually been a no shit moment where, like events happened simply because Jonah Hill was meeting with James Franco. And that's not how anything plays out in this film because this is based on a real life case that played out in a not really significant manner. Um, so it, it's, it's you're, you don't, you're trying to being taught that like, Oh, is, did he actually do this or did he not do this? But like Jonah Hill kind of at some point stops caring about that. Like, cause he's so obsessed with writing this book that he doesn't care about the verdict of the trial he just is obsessed with this man, I guess, I, which even in and of itself does not really get sold to me in the um, the course of the film. I mean, sure, he wrote that like 80 page manuscript about his whole life or whatever, which sort of, I guess, was kind of interesting. Like, you know, James Franco seemed to have a sympathetic backstory, but at some point it stops being like James Franco is trying to sell it on like, hey, I'm not ready to talk about what really happened, but... I will get there soon. Like, it, it was weird that, I don't know. I, it, it just didn't feel impactful. Yeah, it It was strange. And I think there are so many ways the true story could have been taken and turned into a better film, I think. Like, it, it's trying to make this be a character study of Jonah Hill, of Michael Finkel, and how uh, uh, Chris... Longo, I think that's his name, yeah. Christian Longo. Yeah. How how James Franco's character impacts him. And I think the only interesting part of the story is James Franco's character, if you could actually get inside him somehow, of like, why does he haphazardly give his identity as someone else? And why does he tell these stories? And why does he like crave crave all of this attention even if he's not going to give up anything yeah like there, there's an interesting movie in there somehow a kind of an almost like the jinx again type thing where there's a it's a compelling character by virtue of how bizarre they are but it's like the movie didn't actually despite despite uh finkel apparently being close with this person and them communicating all the time it doesn't feel like it has access to him like it actually knows why he did the things he did oh yeah for sure it It doesn't feel like that at all and and like to its credit it at least doesn't pretend it does but what a what a weird build-up i I mean like what you're what you're promising with this film is a thing that i was excited about and i actually feel like i'm kind of on uh on jonah hill's side throughout this movie like people are demonizing him for giving voice to this terrible person and for letting his side be heard and for trying to get people to empathize. And I actually think that's like a great goal. I don't care how terrible the person is. Like 
being able to empathize with the worst person in the world is like very compelling literature. <laughs> and I think I have nothing wrong with that. The problem is this film never managed to do it. And I assume his book never managed to do it either because it just doesn't you're not left knowing why he did anything. You were just left seeing him as like a a liar. <laughs> and not even an interesting liar, just like an asshole liar. Yeah. Like 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 going back to the jinx. Um there you know they're, like we're not going to talk too much about the jinx, but like one of the the cases that the guy is involved in with is, you know, a person died, the body was cut up and thrown away. The debate in that case is not whether or not he's the person that did that. It's whether or not that particular event was maliciously done or in self-defense. Like, that's what the mm -hmm. whole court case is about. So, like, the the facts of the case are a man was killed and then his body was cut up and pieces were thrown away. In this film, we have, you know, a, a similar situation. Both uh, involving a suitcase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, both involving a suitcase, yes. Um, so... But the thing is, in the Jinx, it's all about like, well, of course everybody thinks he killed him, and like on purpose, and and then there are the the defense is arguing that like no no it was self defense. So in this, like, there is a similar situation in their court proceeding about whether or not the events that that took place, how much involvement James Franco has in it, and there's no time spent, like trying to argue either side we just see a scene where they put james franco on the stand which if you watch any law movie ever you would never do that unless you absolutely had to <laughs> mm -hmm. so but the first witness is james franco like they're leading with putting him on the stand and you don't see a cross you never see a cross examination like that's ridiculous like so and i think the re the reason you don't see it is as we find out in this film like none of that matters yeah, yeah, yeah okay. exactly but I mean, I mean it's just one of those things where it's like you are setting up a situation in which there's a very interesting thing happening and you try to give us gotcha moments during his testimony, but then you just don't even show across and then you leave and then that turns out to not have any bearing on the case at all. So that's hard. It's like, it's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, definitely. And it, I don't know. It, it really just feels like when, when they were mapping out what movie they wanted to make, they must have had some end point in mind or or maybe this guy's book just goes on and on like maybe his book is just i don't get it i don't understand yeah truth this connects somehow i've had trouble with truth so did this guy <laughs> like the end i i don't know it it really tries to build build the courtroom scene into something more like a pivotal turning point where you're supposed to be like oh my god no way and and at that moment, you you could feel that if it actually amounted to something. The idea of like a killer. I I don't even know what we can spoil and what we can't. The the idea of a killer basically using a journalist's way with words to construct a better defense. Yeah, like that could be an extremely interesting story yeah especially if, if it worked <laughs> yeah if there was even a hint that it worked even for a second yeah or even if well, they it, just gave it, us like 20 minutes where it might have worked and we don't know yeah they it, don't even do that for us yeah it, it was very very weird like, like in, in, in that's the thing that's weird too is like i was so confused when the jury read their verdict because i was like why did we even have the last scene <laughs> yeah why why did we go through all this if in the end like the jury is like, yep, 
here's the verdict. <laughs> and I kind of had that spoiled anyway. I looked on uh, Wikipedia about this guy before watching the movie. Yeah. So like I knew how it would end, but I can I can know the ending and still be intrigued by the journey the movie's putting me on. Well, the, the film deserves to show how they arrived at that ending, which it doesn't. It shows this defense and then gives you the impression that like, wow, it was a good defense, maybe. And then turns out, who cares? Yeah, it, it doesn't show you a cross. It doesn't show you the prosecutor side. It doesn't show you like jurors being swayed one way and then the moment where they pivoted. It, it yeah. It's weird. <laughs> I, wa- I wonder if the book is any less weird or if the book is just more like well-written things about his memory and very little to do with the case. There, there's also like there's so there's a scene with James Franco and Jonah Hill. I won't tell I won't say where in the film it is where they're talking through glass over phones and uh, James Franco is talking to Jonah Hill and he's he's clearly doing sort of more manipulation to him. And Jonah Hill initially responds very, almost like he's still pro that guy, which was so weird to me. And then he kind of like has his moment where he's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And he kind of like tries to get all like high and mighty. And it's like, why would you, like, I guess he was trying to convince James Franco that he was on his side, but like he was responding in a stupid way. I don't know, something, I did not like that scene. It's supposed to be like a come up in scene or whatever. But even if that's true, like the post, like the credit sequence completely undoes yeah. whatever feeling of victory you get from that. Yeah, yeah. Which was, I just don't get it. Unless the guy's still working on the book. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the only real positive I can say for the movie and the reason that I didn't walk away feeling like I'd wasted my time was that it did, for, for most of the film while it was going on, I had like a second thread in my head that was just thinking about the idea of like is it wrong to give voice to a person like that to let to let an eloquent person who might be guilty tell their side of the story and it it made me think about like serial and whether you know whether it's wrong to let adnan be so persuasive for millions of people who are listening to him yeah or whether it's wrong for the jinx to kind of turn robert durst into like an interesting character who gets a voice I don't know. It, it's a kind of interesting idea, and I would hope a novel at least has something to say about it, but the movie definitely doesn't. And, and I, I think that in general, like, I mean, just, you know, stepping away from the movie, just to answer your question, like, I think that's perfectly fine. I mean, that's what the defense should do in a case. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're supposed to paint them as an interesting person who is multifaceted and not just this evil monster. And I think that even if somebody is purely just an evil monster, yeah, why not give them a voice? Because like there is something there worth knowing from what they have i mean like we're fine with somebody years later having like a documentary made about them like just if if it's recent that's when it's a problem like i like yeah i don't and that's why i kind of felt like all the characters that are not uh jonah hill or james franco were very one note in this film like yeah jonah hill is hated for by virtue of being the guy who interviewed him and is writing a book about his uh his experiences and what might have led him to do the things he did well and, 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 and technically he wasn't really I, I didn't feel he was widely hated he was hated particularly by the family of the victims which is yeah and, and the prosecutors yeah yeah that, that's true i guess the fact that that's the only response it shows is the family of the victims and felicity jones also kind of being like do you know if he's guilty and then when he isn't sure she seems to like lose something yeah there like some kind of respect 
and I, I mean, the whole film builds, like, even the ending, you're supposed to think that he feels guilt or remorse for the fact that he he profited or made a compelling narrative off of a person like this. And I just don't, I don't know, I, I don't feel that at all, like, the, the negatives. It almost feels like uh, the author of the book wants to think that he's a martyr for something like oh yeah everyone else thinks it's terrible but i'm gonna give voice to this guy anyway and it i don't know they they felt like characters in louis where like everyone but louis just have these like ridiculous <laughs> complaints about everything and they're just i don't know yeah no i mean i i think that like personally if i was the author if the book turned into a like how i got duped by this guy like if he was basically sacrificing himself in telling of this story um I would feel less weird about it. Like the fact that he was basically turning into the publisher of this book that was finished before the trial ended um, seemed weird to me. Like it didn't even include the verdict or whether or not it didn't include like a confession. It didn't include a denial. It didn't include anything. It was like, oh no, this is just the, the guy's life before the trial. Yeah. Like who would read that? <laughs> yeah. Without at least a postscript of, so did he murder his family? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Find out in book two. Find out in the sequel, truer story, ne- never-ending true story. Oh, good times. Yeah. Any other comments about the film? I feel I feel like there was something there, <laughs> but like, no, like a comment no, or really. in the movie there was something there. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, in the movie there was something there. Uh, there, I I do think the dynamic between uh, Jonah Hill and James Franco is like quite good in this movie i i definitely believe them as their two characters and considering they're both people that when i lump them together it's via like seth rogan yeah um, it, it's kind of interesting to see them both holding their weight in a uh defiantly unfunny film <laughs> like, like a movie that's not even trying to be entertaining it, it's really trying to just be like a a slow burn view of two characters and for all of the movie's flaws, I don't think they were the problem with it. I think they did like remarkably well, given how little I expect from them. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just thought of one more comment. There, like there was there was a scene in the film where um, Jonah Hill is talking to the prosecutor, and he's like, oh, "Here are these documents," and the the prosecutor's like, "Look, bro, your testimony is not really worth much because you wrote that fake story for New York Times." Um, it would have been a really interesting story if like after after uh, James Franco gets him like on his side and they're working for a while, if James Franco just like, oh yeah, by the way, I totally did it. Um, and then like Jonah Hill is like, oh shit, like what have I done? I have to try to stop this. And then the second half of the movie was him trying to bring him down, but he can't get anybody to believe him because he's the guy who lied on the New York, in, the, in the New York Times. Like mm-hmm. there could have been a really interesting story there of him like really trying to do something to stop what was like you know stop the progression he had set forth um like try to redeem himself and what he's accidentally done but like that's not even anywhere near yeah, what the story it, is they, they clearly want that to be the story like why else include the moment with the prosecutor and the point where he turns yeah uh but again it, it really just feels like a guy a journalist who had a interesting experience i'm sure to him trying to turn it into something where it seems more compelling or where it has a large arc where really it just doesn't like 
no one really needed his testimony when he had it no one cared probably not because of one new york times piece probably because they had physical evidence instead yeah uh, and like that's all there is to it other th- other than him and his wife and uh james franco like no one was impacted by this yeah and, and like e- even if he would have turned over that that like manuscript like there was no confession in that so it wouldn't have been evidence for anything like he the only thing he could have argued is that like yeah he used the words that we said together in his defense testimony. So, like, that's not evidence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it it also just has this very, like, heavy-handed theme that it's trying to shove in of how similar the two people are and how Jonah Hill could become him. And I, I felt like the way that was handled was very much, like, it doesn't flow from the story at all. So the only way they could do it is by just shoving in these scenes where like Felicity Jones is staring at him from far away yeah. <laughs> or like creepy or phone he's calls. Felicity Jones into a suitcase. Yeah, it was weird that they had him do that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was very strange. But no, like th- like there there was one point during the course of this movie I was like, am I going to get a bunch of weird flashbacks to like him just sitting in prison interviewing himself and then this turns out to be that like he is like he got arrested for murdering everybody and then he created like a dissociative identity and he's been sitting alone in a cell pretending to interview himself from the outside of the monster that he's become like i almost thought for a second they were going to try to do that which was really strange that'd be so weird if it was a true story (laughs) (laughs) if like he he snapped when he got fired from the new york times murdered his wife then like went to prison and in prison wrote this book of it, it was like an autobiography written as just a biography. <laughs> um, if I'd been a guy interviewing a guy that did it. Yeah. I actually want to see that movie now. <laughs> the, the Fight Club version. It, it would be better, definitely. <laughs> John DeTuro shows up and he's like, you stole my story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good times. Good times. Yeah, it's just a very... I, I kind of want to know why this got made. Like, there must be so many compelling true stories. Why pick the one where, like, the narrative has to be shoved into it, where where it doesn't already tell itself? Like, there's so much out there in true crime to talk about. Well, I mean, th- this, this is all sort of what my complaint about uh, Foxcatcher was, because, like, Foxcatcher didn't really go anywhere until the ending, and then even the ending of that, sort of, I was, I was like, I don't... None of that seems significant to me. Like, if you cut off the ending, then the entire movie that preceded it is a waste of time. At least in this film, like, everything up before the ending is, is like, actually semi-compelling. And you're like, oh, if this goes somewhere, this is a pretty interesting story. And then at the end, when you have no answers <laughs> and you just have the ending verdict and what happened later on down the road, you're kind of, like, confused at, like, why the story needs to be told. Yes. And I, I would say Foxcatcher still, I thought, had much more merit than this. Like, at least, even if Foxcatcher, it is a slow burn and what it builds to doesn't necessarily tie together or totally flow from the story it told, at least it is building to a, like, oh, shit moment. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this movie... Doesn't build anything. The oh, shit moment happened before the movie started. Yeah, Like, this yeah. movie is just, like, following an oh, shit moment and saying... Hey, maybe it didn't. No, it did. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a good way to put it. (laughs) 
I do, I do wonder, by the way, if Bennett Miller was somehow involved in this because we've name dropped three of his movies while talking about it. <laughs> but I don't think so. Yeah. It's a project that, like, was going to happen and then it was like, ah, somebody else can do this. It's just some some guy who was on the run who's a big fan of Bennett Miller yeah. who used his name and made a movie. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, should we wrap this episode up? Yeah, might as well. All right. Well, it's verdict time, Stephen Miller or Krishner. <laughs> yep. Stephen Krishner Miller. Um, why don't you let us know if you were going to give us a must-see, reckon with the caveat, wait for rental, pass with the caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Uh, let's see. In uh, in honor of Jonah Hill, I'm going to use as many double negatives as possible because <laughs> that's just weird <laughs> writing advice. Like That's just like first grade, like, hey, don't don't start with a preposition. Don't use so double mad. negatives. So mad. Like, Dude, no, if you're writing, like, do whatever. You can't just throw out a bland rule like that. The, the, the best the best of that scene, if he would have been like, all right, I will give you a writing tip, you give me an answer. He's like, writing tip, don't use double negatives. That's dumb. And then he's like, all right, my question, did you do it? Like, he just comes out of the gate with, like, the big question right away. <laughs> also, he doesn't use more tips. Like, he owes jo- he owes uh, James Franco so many writing tips by the end of that scene. Yeah, well, apparently... Because they're supposed to be do, like, tit for tat. Like, you give me a answer, I'll give you a tip. And he gives him one tip, and then he just pummels him with, like, 12 questions. Yeah, well, apparently he f- he figured that he had enough with that double negative thing to do his defense properly. So, <laughs> so he just oh, stuck I never, I never thought about double negatives. <laughs> by the way, like, even the example he gives, the double negative of, like... I, I never said I didn't want to work there. That means something different from I said I wanted to work there. Like, it actually has meaning. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's not like, oh, cross out the double negatives. You got the same thing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I didn't <laughs> not enjoy watching this movie, but it gave, me ju- it gave me just enough to be, like, fine, happy with the fact that I came and saw it. I just didn't feel like it led to very much so in my mind this is total rental kind of like a weak rental category where it's like a it's fine i think it's interesting to see people like jonah hill and james franco bounce off each other in a dark more brooding film and i do think the first half of the movie is a fairly good movie even if the second half doesn't do anything with it so to me that's just weak rental watch it if you want to meh yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like the first half of the movie, like I was generally entertained by it. Like I think the film, I think the film suffers from the real life case not being that interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like I feel like there, there's knowledge that we don't have that the filmmakers didn't have that the real life case didn't have that could have made it an interesting story. But instead we get just this. Um, like I said, the beginning was really interesting. Uh, but by the end of it, it's just such a let down um that i just don't know like i don't it's, it's hard for me to like celebrate this film at all so i'm gonna give it the pass with the caveat like it's made fine it's just didn't have anywhere to go and uh there's not really a point taking that journey if it's not going to go somewhere i have to say i just read the imdb summary of this movie and it says, uh, when disgraced New York Times reporter Michael Finkel meets accused killer Christian Longo, who took Finkel's identity, the investigation morphs into a game of cat and mouse. <laughs> and I feel like that's not true. It's like cat and mouse. 
and a hundred coyotes that eat the cat and nobody gives a shit about the mouse. <laughs> they didn't have enough room uh, in, in the IMDb description to put that there. It, it, it's like cat and mouse if the cat took one swipe and the mouse scurried away. Like, <laughs> ooh, what, a, what a game of cat and mouse. Uh, well, good times. <laughs> Do you want to let anybody know where they can find you? Um, you can find me in Me- in Mexico as Krishner <laughs> hooking up with random German chicks. Um, you can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com or twitter.com slash Krishner. <laughs> I hope that's available. There's no way. I guess it all depends on how you're going to No, I didn't it. tell you how to smell it. <laughs> how to spell it. <laughs> I blame that on the, the lip. I, I did not tell you how to incorrectly spell it. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, so people can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW at 760-575-4879. Next week, finally, after we've been waiting for weeks and weeks and weeks, Ex Machina, we're going to be talking about it, more than likely, or Ex Machina, as Carson accidentally ordered tickets for. Um, (laughs) Not to be confused with Sex Machina, the uh, Sex sex in the Machina. Too. <laughs> he was an axe machine. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining me, Stephen Krishner Miller. Uh, you're welcome, Chris. <laughs> I've always admired you. <laughs> you. You followed my work for my whole career. I followed your podcast for <laughs> years. Uh, well, and, and we still talk the first, second, third, and fourth Sunday of every month. <laughs> Oh, good times. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, thank you, Stephen, for joining me. And uh, we will catch everybody next week. Later. Bye.